It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. And now, this is the Neighborhood Podcast with New Age Insider's Chief of Staff, D.C. Matthews. anything like me, you're a fan of Greek mythology, in which case you're familiar, of course, with the story of Icarus. If you're not familiar with Greek mythology, let me take a quick minute to fill you in on the story. Daedalus created wings to be able to fly, I believe, out of the labyrinth, and he gave wings for himself and his son, Icarus. He warned Icarus, however, not to fly too high, for the closer he got to the sun, the more likely the chance the wax on his wings would melt and he would fall. Icarus, being a youngster, didn't listen to his father, flew too close to the sun, the wax melted, and Icarus passed away. Why am I sharing this depressing story with you, the neighborhood? I'm doing so because I... D.C. Matthews, Chief of Staff of the New Age Insiders, have been feeling a lot like Icarus lately. No, nothing's melted off of me, and no, I'm not too close to the sun, though I did spend a good portion of time outside today. The story of Icarus is about, in my opinion, trying too hard or going too far too fast. And that is why I am like Icarus. I've been podcasting now for about two weeks, and I've created two, and this being the third episode. Although technically it's the fourth episode, because earlier today, I tested out an interview with one Brandon McIntyre at One Day Remains. And I hope Brandon knows that he did an excellent job and was a fabulous guest. But the problem is, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and it wasn't... Anything that Brandon did, but it was myself and my own interview style that I had a problem with. So much so that I actually had a panic attack and wound up taking the interview off of YouTube altogether. My apologies to Brandon. My apologies to any of you who were excited about hearing that version of the Neighborhood podcast. But like Icarus, I went too far too fast and have paid the price. I'm going to take a step back. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to try podcasting on my own. But for the foreseeable future, I'm going to delay the interview portion of the Neighborhood Podcast. Maybe I'll come back to it someday. Maybe I'll wind up finding an entirely new avenue to let you be heard. But for now, friends, you're going to have to deal with my own dulcet tones on their own as I continue to strive to make the very best neighborhood podcast that I can. If you have feedback, if you would like to share ideas of how I can make the best podcast that I can, please send me a note at DC Matthews NAI and share your thoughts. I still want this to be our podcast. I still want this in many ways to be your podcast. Having said that, Now that I've depressed many of you and possibly caused you to turn off the podcast in frustration, I'd like to welcome you to the Neighborhood Podcast. 
My name is DC Matthews. I am the chief of staff of the New Age Insiders, the premier place for wrestling fans to connect, discuss, and truly to be heard. You can find me on Twitter at DC Matthews NAI, along with the rest of my brethren on the New Age Insiders team. For those of you who've decided, after all of these years, to cave in and join the internet, so you've signed up for a Prodigy, CompuServe, or Earthlink account, the New Age Insiders are Jason Maltoff, at New Age Insiders, Liam Stryker, at Liam NAI, and Bill Neville, at Bill Neville NAI. We have a website where you can find the writing of myself, DC Matthews, along with our incredible NAI team and NAI Hall of Famers, who really are as much as part of the NAI team as any of us are. I encourage you to write. If you're a Hall of Famer, you can write any day of the week you wish. We've already had some great writing this week. And everyone is encouraged to write on Fan Fridays. We had an excellent edition of Fan Friday this past week. We had some great columns, and it led into some great discussion. I'd like to encourage you to take the discussion to the New Age Insiders website. There's no character limits. You can really dive in and truly be heard. And of course, please feel free to tweet us with all of your wrestling needs. As I said, today's Neighborhood Podcast is the third edition, and today we're going to be talking about a variety of things. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about Ring of Honor. I know many of you are hoping for some more Ring of Honor coverage in your day, in your NAI day. So I'm going to talk about Best in the World a little bit. I'm not going to go too much through the results. You're welcome to watch the show on your own. But I am going to talk about, now that I've been watching Ring of Honor for about a month, I'll share some of my thoughts on the company. I'll share some nicknames that I've given out to Ring of Honor talent. And then in the final section, I'm going to talk about some nostalgia. That's N-A-I-stalgia. And we're going to take a look at the 2002 PWI 500, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated ranking of the top 500 wrestlers in the world. And we'll break that apart a little bit and have some fun. And hopefully we'll leave you with a smile on your face. This is the Neighborhood Podcast. I know there's some questions with some of you about the name. Uh, Jason Maltoff on NAI Pod called it the NAIberhood Podcast. And that's certainly a great title. I'm calling it the Neighborhood Podcast. I know that's not necessarily how it's supposed to work. When you write it, it looks close enough to neighborhood that that's what I'm going to call it. It's my podcast. I make the rules. Ha 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 ha. Hashtag Heal DC. All right, let's get into the show. I actually want to start today by talking about a discussion that we had just today. Some of the neighbors and I were engaged in quite a positive post-Raw discussion. Jason Maltoff was part of it as well. And as we were chatting, I don't remember quite how this surfaced, but I asked a question that seemed to take people's interest or capture people's interest. And here was the question. Who was the last great intercontinental champion? Now, this sparked a whole lot of debate, both in terms of people's answers and also in terms of actually defining the question. What makes a, here are my air quotes, great intercontinental champion? This led to conversation and more conversation, and we began to talk about whether or not the Intercontinental title belt has lost its luster. 
I think we've all agreed that it seems to have, but we were wondering if that was really the case. We remember the glory days of Randy Savage and Bret Hart. Insert your favorite Intercontinental Champion here, Mr. Perfect, for example. So I took it upon myself this afternoon to do a little research. I went ahead and made a list from Wikipedia, and I had to copy the list because that's the way I do things. I made a list of all of the champions, when they won the belt, how long each reign was, and then whether or not they went on to win the world title. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. Here's what I found. In the 36-year history of the Intercontinental title, which began in 1979, there have been 149 title reigns. However, there have only been 75 individual champions. 149 reigns, for those of you playing at home, divided into 36 years means we've had, on average, about four intercontinental title reigns a year. So let's start with our final question and work our way back to the original one. Has the intercontinental title lost its luster? Through the research, here's what I've learned. Those historically great reigns, the Randy Savages, the Shawn Michaels, heck, even the Honky Tonk Man, those are the exceptions, not the rule. Of the 149 title reigns, the average length of an intercontinental title reign is only 85 days, less than three months. 39 of them, which comes out to 26%, for those of you who enjoy statistics, were longer than 100 days. So 26% of all the title reigns were longer than 100 days. 14 of them, that's only 9.4%, were less than 10 days. So we've had more that were longer than 100 than less than 10, but that's still almost 10% of intercontinental title reigns lasting less than 10 days. Now, Let's look in the modern era, and when I use the term modern era, I'm saying this century. Of the top 15 reigns in terms of length, only two of them have happened in the 2000s, Cody Rhodes and Shelton Benjamin. Of the shortest 15 reigns, 10 of them have happened in the 2000s. That's not good. Now, to be fair, we have more pay-per-views, especially recently we have lots of pay-per-views. There's more TV shows, there's more title defenses. I'll let you know now, I didn't go in and calculate every single title defense that all of the champions had. If there's somebody out there who has though that amount of time to kill and would like to do that research for us, I'm sure we'd love to hear it, and perhaps it will change our answer, or at least my answer, to the question. And I do have an answer. I do have, in my opinion, the last great intercontinental champion, and I'll share that information with you in a few minutes. We had a four-year period, and I tweeted about this earlier, from 1999 to 2003, where there were no, none, zero, zip, zilch, nada, goose egg, intercontinental title reigns that lasted longer than 100 days. Four consecutive years with reigns shorter than 100 days. That boggled my mind. Now, to be fair, here are a list of some of the guys who were wrestling for the Intercontinental title during that time period. Edge, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Triple H, 
and Rob Van Dam, among others. That's a pretty competitive division, so I can understand why the belt may have changed hands more frequently. This modern generation doesn't seem to be the next Angles or Benoit's. So has the Intercontinental title lost its luster? I think we can all agree, yes, to some extent. We don't see these champions as future world champions. At least I hope not when it comes to our current champion. Have I mentioned I don't like Ryback? All right, let's move on. The next question. What makes a great Intercontinental Champion? For my money, there are two to three factors that have to go in to whether or not you can call a individual run great. I was looking at the research, and I don't have this specific set of statistics in front of me, but Chris Jericho has been Intercontinental Champion nine times, more than anyone else in history. He's only held the title once in a reign longer than 100 days. Most of his reigns were around the 30 to 40 day period. Can we count that? You know, yes, he's won the title nine times, which is great, but if you've only held it for about a month or so at a time, are you a great champion? Here's a question you can answer on your own. Do we have to count all of the reigns cumulatively? What I mean by that is, do we have to consider every one of Jericho's title reigns, or can we focus on one specifically? For my answer for this question today, I'm going to focus on one specific reign for a talent. So here are my three factors. Factor one, length. You have to hold the title for a while in order to be considered a great champion. Exactly what I just said about Jericho. If I'm the Intercontinental Champion for 14 days, even if I defended it every day, that's not a great title run. Over 100 is good, but it could be less than that, I suppose. The person I'm going to pick had a reign over 100 days. I wonder if you'll be able to guess it by the end of this. The second factor is the success of the reign. Now, as I said, I'm not looking at title defenses. And then you could go in, if you wanted to really delve down this rabbit hole, you could be talking about their clean title wins. We look at Seth Rollins. How many times has he defended his world title with the help of the authority or J&J security? Does that count? Are you a great champion if you always have help? I don't know. That's a topic you'll have to decide for yourself. I'm going to assume that the longer the reign and the less you got injured, or if you got injured at all, I'm going to assume you had a successful Intercontinental title reign. Here's a fun fact. We keep thinking that the Intercontinental title belt is cursed, but through my research, only seven guys have had to surrender that belt due to injury in its history. It happened once in 2014 with Wade Barrett, and as we all know, it happened in 2015 with Daniel Bryan. But that's not the record. 96, 97, 98, Ahmed Johnson, Stone Cold Steve Austin during that match with Owen Hart, which hopefully many of you remember, and then Triple H all had to surrender their title due to injury. This would be the point. I actually wrote this in my notes where I would try to encourage Ryback to hurt himself. I'm not going to do that. I was impressed by Ryback's top rope splash last night on Raw. However, I'm still not a big Ryback fan, and I'd like somebody else to win the IC title. If you read my article for today, you know who I think is going to win at Battleground. Here's the final factor, and this is up for debate. Actually, all of this is up for debate. 
But the final factor that I'm considering is whether or not the Intercontinental Champion went on to win a world title and have a successful career post-IC title. That, to me, means something. Cody Rhodes held the belt for about 236 days. That's great, but he's not world champion yet. So I can't count that as a great run. Think of your great runs. Randy Savage defending the Intercontinental title through WrestleMania 3, winning the world title at WrestleMania 4. Bret Hart being the Intercontinental champion on a couple of occasions before finally beating Ric Flair in Saskatoon in 1992. Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 10, he steals the show in an Intercontinental title ladder match. WrestleMania 12, he's world champion. Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H. These are our standard bearers for a great title run or a great champion. But this is problematic. We just had the brand extension era. There were two world titles, and as many of you know, we talk about it all the time, quite a few of the names that have won the world title aren't exactly who you would consider great. The backlash I'm going to get for this part of the podcast is going to be on who I choose. And again, I hope you've figured it out, who I'm going to go with in about two minutes. You're going to find my answer. So the brand extension is a little bit of a problem, but then there's also statistics, which get in our way. As I said, 75 individual intercontinental champions in history. Of them, only 19, that's 25%. 19 of them have gone on to win a world title. And really, if you look at that list, three of them, Booker T, Chris Benoit, and Rob Van Dam, had already been world champions in their previous organizations. Booker T and Benoit were WCW champions. Rob Van Dam was the ECW champion. Do we count them? I don't think that we do. So we're left with this list. Bret Hart, Chris Jericho. Christian, Diesel, Eddie Guerrero, Edge, Jeff Hardy, Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, Randy Savage, Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, and The Ultimate Warrior. Now, whether or not they ever make it into the WWE version, I'm pretty sure the neighborhood as a whole can agree. Just about everyone I named just then is a Hall of Famer. Are we setting our standards too high? Are we giving Wade Barrett and Kofi Kingston and Cody Rhodes a fair shake when we're comparing them to these first ballot Hall of Famers? Maybe we need to reevaluate a little bit. Now, DC, I hope the astute of you out there are saying, that list you gave only had 15 names. If you add the three WCW and ECW guys, that's 18 names. Didn't you say there were 19 wrestlers that went on from the IC title to win the world title? First of all, thanks for paying attention. Secondly, you're right. And I left one name out specifically because... This is the answer to our original question, according to DC Matthews. Who was the last great... Intercontinental Champion. Based on the research, based on the criteria I just set out for you, the answer to the question, according to me, is Dolph Ziggler. 
specifically his run in 2010, July of 2010, the first time he won the Intercontinental title. Now, you have to go back in your brains. Now, I wasn't even watching back in 2010, but go back in your brains to that time. Dolph Ziggler was seen by many to be the next it guy. Now, he's not the it guy, which may detract from your agreeing with my choice here, but he won his first Intercontinental title in July of 2010. He held it for 160 days. Besides Shelton Benjamin and besides Cody Rhodes, I believe, that's the third longest reign in the last decade. So that's pretty cool. There's that length. There's that success. Those two factors. Within a month of losing the belt, he had won the world title. Now, if you remember correctly, and I don't fault you if you don't, I had to go look it up. He had only held the title for a day, and he wound up losing it to Edge pretty quickly after. He might have even lost it on the same day. But he still held a world title, and he went on to win another world title before sinking into this mid-card place that he's in now. Though he got Lana to take her hair down, I'm sure many of you enjoyed that. He had a lengthy reign, he had a successful reign, and he went on to win a world title. Dolph Ziggler, no matter what you think of him today, is probably our last great Intercontinental Champion. If you don't like that answer, and I don't blame you if you do, here's something you can take solace in and maybe it'll help you fall asleep tonight. Christian won the Intercontinental title nine and a half years before he won his world title. Now, I'm guessing he went to TNA somewhere in between there, but the fact remains. There was a nine and a half year gap between his Intercontinental title, his first Intercontinental title, and his first world title in WWE. I'm not talking about ECW. That means in 2019 and 2020, if Cody Rhodes or Wade Barrett or Kofi Kingston have become the world champion maybe we'll look at the Intercontinental title a little differently. A couple more fun facts before we end this part of the show. There are nine wrestlers that won the Intercontinental title after winning a world title. We don't often think of that kind of a step back. Dolph Ziggler's one of them, I suppose. Including, and this boggled my mind, again, this was during my lost year period, Ric Flair? And he held the title for 155 days back in 2005? Seriously? You want to talk about when the title lost its luster? You gave it to Ric Flair, who was in his 50s, I'm guessing, maybe even older, maybe he was in his 60s, for almost six months. You couldn't come up with anybody else to win the Intercontinental title? Jeesh. All right, last thing, just for fun. Here are the names of the 47 wrestlers who have won the Intercontinental title, but have not, and for some of them not yet, won the world title. I'm sharing this with you because there are going to be some names on here where you're going to look up and say, they didn't win the IC title, and you'll do the research and you'll realize, I'm right. Ahmed Johnson. Albert. Don't remember that one. Big E. Billy Gunn. The British Bulldog. Carlito, China, Cody Rhodes, Curtis Axel, D'Lo Brown, don't remember that one either, Dean Douglas, 
The Rock, Don Morocco, Drew McIntyre, Ezekiel Jackson had no idea. Gold Dust, Greg Valentine, the Honky Tonk Man, of course, Jeff Jarrett, John Morrison, Ken Patera, Ken Shamrock, Kofi Kingston, Lance Storm, Luke Harper, Mark Marrow, Marty Jannetty, Mr. Perfect, Owen Hart, Pat Patterson, the inaugural champion, Razor Ramon, Rick Rude, Ricky Steamboat, Rikishi, The Road Dog, Roddy Piper, Ryback, Santino Morella, Shelton Benjamin, Test, The Texas Tornado, Wade Barrett, of course, The Godfather, The Mountie, don't forget The Mountie, he's handsome, he's brave, he's strong, Tito Santana, Umaga, Val Venus, and my favorite, or one of my favorites, William Regal. William Regal never won the world title in WWE, a fact I'm a little bitter about, but I have a feeling that had his career happened a little later, he would have had a great time in Ring of Honor. So let me use that perfect segue to start talking about Ring of Honor and my thoughts on the company. At this point in time, I've now watched about a month's worth of Ring of Honor programming. I've watched about four weeks of television, and I just finished watching Best in the World, their pay-per-view for June. So at this point, I think I can more intelligently discuss the program and the company, as opposed to when I started, in which case I just railed about the fact that they have a wrestler named Cheeseburger. Now, I still don't ha get why he's called Cheeseburger, but at least I'm willing to move past it and talk about other things. So what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to talk about what I see, and again, I'm only a month in, but I'd like to talk about the pros and cons of Ring of Honor. Pro. All of the matches that I've seen are of a decent or better quality. Now, that might seem like a strange thing for me to say, but I can't say that about WWE. I can't even say that about Lucha Underground or NXT, for that matter. Ring of Honor, overall, probably has the best quality wrestling that I've seen. I know this because I haven't skipped any of the matches. When I watch Best in the World, I watched all three hours of Best in the World. Now, I've told you, I can get through Raw if I watch it the day after, usually in about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, depending on what's on the, each week. Even the pay-per-views, Money in the Bank, I skipped the women's title match and the IC title match. I didn't even bother giving them a chance. Ring of Honor, I didn't have that problem. I was able to watch everything and enjoy it. In fact, and now I'm moving into the con here, it almost was, I won't say too good, but what I noticed, I don't have the endurance anymore for a three-hour show. I don't know that I'd make it through Raw start to finish, although that does have commercials. I found myself getting, bored's not the right word, but almost oversaturated with all of the quality wrestling, and I had to take a couple of breaks and come back. Maybe part of that was being on Twitter, maybe part of that was trying to multitask, but that was certainly a problem that I noticed that I had. I had a hard time getting through the entire thing. I'm willing to chalk that up as a problem on my end rather than on Ring of Honor's end. I really can't fault them for having a quality pay-per-view. But it was something that kind of takes me out of the action. It's too good. There are no popcorn breaks. After Kevin Owens versus John Cena, there's usually a match that people care about a little less. So if they need to go to the bathroom, get a snack, or just blow up Twitter with how awesome Cena versus Owens was, they can do that. You didn't have that, I thought, 
with Best in the World. Here's another pro, and it goes along with the original one. The wrestlers are all of a very high quality. I would have to stop and think about who the worst, and I'm using my famous air quotes here, the worst wrestler was, but all of them seemed to be very good. It was probably BJ Whitmer now that I think about it. I don't get him yet. But the wrestling is all very good. The con, though, is that the wrestling is the only part of Ring of Honor that is very good, although the stories are good, too. The production value of Ring of Honor needs a lot of work. The lighting and the camera work, specifically. There was a lot of action on the outside, and either it wasn't lit well at all, for example, when Moose dove outside the ring at one point during his triple threat match, I didn't see it, because there was no lights. Or it took an awfully long time for the lights to get on to the wrestlers, which made it difficult to watch. I'm thinking specifically in this instance about one of the points during Red Dragon versus The Addiction. They were all on the outside, and it was right before Bobby Fish, I think, back body dropped Frankie Kazarian off the entrance onto the other two guys. They obviously were stalling for time, waiting for the spotlight to get on them. You don't see that happening in a WWE show. So the lighting's going to need some work, I think, if Ring of Honor wants to really be taken seriously. Otherwise, it just looks amateur. I hate to say it, but that's how it looks. The camera work as well. They almost seem to have too many cameras, and so there's action going on in the ring, but you can't really see what it is because they're too busy looking at something else, or they're too busy switching camera angles, so you wind up missing things. This might be something that they fix with time. Again, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's something that I noticed. Here's another pro. And again, this might be more of a me thing. The more I watch Ring of Honor, the more I'm into it. Now, those vignettes from Best in the World, if you had the chance to see it, and if not, you should really find a way to see it. I'm not going to encourage you to do something illegal. All I'm going to say is I enjoyed it, and I didn't pay for it. The vignettes from Best in the World were very, very good. They caught me up with the story, and because I had been watching for a few weeks, I actually knew enough about it to really be involved. And so I enjoyed Best in the World probably more than I've enjoyed most of the television that I've seen just because I've had the time to know the characters. I now know what's going on with the decades, so when they came out, I could get into it. At first, I was very confused. The con for this is not a quite a big con, because I think it's going to get fixed, but those vignettes need to show up on Destination America each week. It has to happen. You, those vignettes were excellent and need to be shown on a weekly basis so that people can quickly catch up with the stories. My final pro, Best in the World might be, from start to finish, better than any other pay-per-view that I've seen in 2015, and I'm including the NXT ones and the WWE ones. As an entire card, there wasn't a weak point in the card. There were things I liked, and there were things I loved. In WWE, there are things I love, things I like, and things I skip. I didn't find myself skipping any part of Best in the World. The con, at thirty four ninety five, and I heard from some people that when they wanted to watch it on TV, it was forty five ninety five. Ring of Honor is going to price themselves out of the market. Now, we've had this discussion online at New Age Insiders, at DC Matthews NAI. We've talked about how WWE Network has essentially killed the wrestling pay-per-view. If you can get live WWE pay-per-views plus everything else they offer for 9 dollars 
why in the world would you pay any other price for other pay-per-views? I certainly didn't pay $34.95 to watch Best in the World. I know most of the neighborhood didn't pay that money either. I'm all for supporting a company that does well. And again, if Best in the World had been $20, I probably would have bought it. But they're not going to do as well as they could because they're charging so much money. Now, I'm not a businessman. I have no financial acumen at all, as Mrs. Matthews will attest. And so I don't know the Ring of Honor business model, and I don't know how well they're doing. So they might have no choice but to charge what they charge. However, all I'm saying is WWE is going to make it very difficult for Ring of Honor to succeed charging what they're currently charging. Now that I know a bit about the wrestlers... I One of the things that I tend to do, and you may have noticed this if you've been following along with me, is I tend to give wrestlers nicknames. I don't know why I do it. Maybe I'm trying to be funny, or maybe it's just something I do to pass the time, but I tend to give wrestlers nicknames. The boys on NAI Pod do it too, most famously with Bull Dempsey, a.k.a. Goon Magoof. Now, I've stopped using Goon Magoof, mainly because Bull Dempsey blocked me because of it. And as a big Bull Dempsey fan, even with his stupid, stupid, stupid gimmick, I try not to use that since he obviously doesn't take it the same way that we intend it to be, or at least I intend it to be. I'm sure there are plenty of you out there calling him Goon Magoof because you think he's Goon Magoof. I've done this with Hideo Itami. I've called him Kick Tommy because... Right before his injury, he wasn't using any moves besides kicks that I could see, so I called him Kick Tommy. And my personal favorite is that I used to call Finn Balor Patio Furniture. And I'd do it with an Irish accent. You know, Patio Furniture. He does his little double stump jig on your face and the one, two, three, and oh, Kalu Kale, he wins. That may have been the worst Irish accent I've ever heard. You'll let me know on Twitter. What I've done is I've looked around, and I'm not doing it, I'm not searching for nicknames, but as I've seen them, nicknames have come into my head. And so I'd like to share some of them with you right now. ACH, for me, is now going to be known as ACH Scorpio, because obviously there is a too cold Scorpio influence in everything that ACH does. One of the reasons I know this is that when I mentioned it on Twitter, ACH himself favorited my tweet. So I'm guessing he was a fan, and he definitely reminds me of Too Cold Scorpio. Adam Page, I'm calling Oliver Queen, because I think he looks very much like Stephen Amell, who may or may not be wrestling at SummerSlam this year, although with Cody Rhodes probably returning in the next few weeks, maybe that Green Arrow thing will go away. But I've been calling Adam Page Oliver Queen because he looks very much like the guy who plays the Arrow on the CW hit show, Arrow. Cedric Alexander, this one might be my favorite. He's Carlton Banks. Honestly, why isn't he coming out to the ring to Tom Jones? It's not unusual. I'm, I just did an Irish accent, otherwise I'd sing for you. But I'm working on trying to not sound like a midnight smooth jazz DJ. So I'm going to start trying to be more enthusiastic with my voice or trying different voices. I don't know if I'm up for singing Tom Jones right now. But Cedric Alexander looks very much like Carlton Banks. And so I've been calling him Carlton Alexander. Silas Young, not surprisingly, I'm calling Snake. He looks kind of like Jake the Snake Roberts, kind of like a Jake the Snake Roberts Rick Rude hybrid. Plus, he also looks a little bit like Snake Plissken from the Metal Gear Solid video games. So I'm calling him Snake. It's not my favorite nickname, but it'll do.
I was looking at the Ring of Honor website, specifically their roster, and Brutal Bob Evans is wearing like a knit cap and he's smoking a cigar. So now I'm calling him Popeye. Uh, I don't, I'm guessing that that's been done before. I don't think I'm original when I do that, but he looks like Popeye. And then you have Adam Cole, who I am calling the natural because he is as good as anyone I've seen. I, you know, I didn't see him in a one on one match yet. The only match I saw him in was the six man tag between the kingdom and the bullet club, which was very good. Don't get me wrong, but he cuts a promo smoothly. He just has the look in the ring. I now get what a lot of you have been saying. Adam Cole is a future superstar in professional wrestling. So now I want to move on and talk about some nostalgia. And I'm spelling that N-A-I-stalgia. As I mentioned last week on the Neighborhood Podcast, I have a collection of Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines that I had as a kid and my parents have saved for me and have recently given it back because they're tired of having their 30-something-year-old son stuff all over their house. So I have a pile of PWI magazines, and I've been going through them, and I think I've written once or twice about them, and I'll probably mention them in a couple of upcoming podcasts. If you missed the PWI era when it was in its heyday, I'm sure it's still around somewhere, though I haven't seen it in years. PWI was kind of the pre-internet, and a lot of it was fabricated, much like the internet. And they had different themed things that came out. They had their year-end awards, they had the mid-year awards, and most famously, I think, they had the PWI 500, which is where they listed the top 500 wrestlers in the world. I loved this. Being a big list fan, as I mentioned last week, only child nerd over here, I was a huge fan of the PWI 500, and I would spend hours kind of reading through and learning about wrestlers that I'd never heard of and would never hear from again. Plus, you never knew. You'd read an old one, and you'd go, oh, look, you know, here's so-and-so, and and he came along later and became really good. Um, One thing I'm noticing here is reading this 2002 PWI 500, which is what I'm going to be talking about today, you had guys like American Dragon or CM Punk well before anyone in WWE really knew who they were, but they were making some semblance of waves in the PWI 500. So I'm going to just talk about a couple of things. Number one, let me just read to you the top 10 names from the 2002 PWI 500. Rob Van Dam. The Undertaker, K.G. Muto, who is the great Muda, Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle, Edge, Yuji Nagata, famous in Japan and also mildly famous for a WCW run kind of near the end, The Rock, and Triple H. Now that is a top 10. I haven't seen the 2014 or 2015 PWI 500, so I can't say how good this particular version stacks up with that one. But that's about as good of a top 10 as you can get. Looking at this, you've got one, two, really, with the exception of Yuji Nagata, I'm going to guess that all of these wrestlers from the top 10 are going to make it into the WWE Hall of Fame one day. It's a crime the Great Muda isn't in there now, even though he never wrestled a WWE match. Rob Van Dam's going to make it. Undertaker's a lock. Jericho's a lock. Eddie's already in. Angle should be in. He might be the only one that doesn't make it in based on his relationship with WWE. Edge is in, The Rock will get in, and Triple H will get in. 
So that's that jumped out to me right away is that's a pretty darn good top 10 right there. The next thing I want to mention is hindsight. Hindsight being 2020. You look at some of this. Now, this is 13 years ago. And to a fan today, if I said, oh, so-and-so was ranked higher than so-and-so, you'd think I was crazy. And here's some proof. In 2002, Tajiri was ranked higher than Randy Orton. Matt Hardy was ranked higher than Jeff Hardy. Chuck Palumbo, remember him, was ranked higher than one John Cena. Jamie Noble was ranked higher than The Big Show. Billy Kidman was ranked higher than Vader. X-Pac and Spike Dudley were both ranked higher than The American Dragon. And my personal favorite, Colt Cabana, was ranked higher than CM Punk. Now again, understanding that most of these guys, Cena, Orton, CM Punk, Dragon specifically, were in the relative infancies of their career, so we're not expecting them to be big names. But those are four names that I just mentioned that are probably some of the best of the last decade, and they're being outranked 13 years ago by a guy most famous for being part of a homosexual tag team, a guy who was most famous because he liked to scratch himself as part of Raven's flock, and a guy who is most famous because he did what X-Pac did and I'm not going to talk about right now. And then we get to my favorite part of the PWI 500. We get to the names. I love these names. And these names are so amazing and so fun. I had to devote an entire section to them. And as a big George Carlin fan, I tried to do it in an homage to one George Carlin. The PWI 500 had lots of great names, especially in 2002. There was Adam Jacobs, Adam Booker, Adam Firestorm, Adam Flash, Billy Gunn, Billy Real, Billy Kidman, Billy Bax, Billy Fives, and William Regal. Bob Evans, hey, it's Popeye again. Bob Keller, Bobby Rogers, Bobby Roode, Bobby Collins, and Bobby Too Bad. Rod Bell and Kelly Bell, Brandon Kay and Brandon Walker, Brock Singleton and Brock Lesnar, Brian Anthony, Brian Bedlam, and Brian, don't call me Lawler, Christopher. Christopher Daniels, Chris Nelson, Chris Michaels, Chris Hamrick, Chris Candido, Chris Devine, Chris Venom, Chris Sabin, Chris Hero, Chris Jericho, Christian, and Christian York. Bodup and his brother Stand Up. That's a funny name. Dave Greco, Dave Johnson, David Lee Gilbert, David Young, and David Flair. Doug Basham and Doug Williams. Frank Parker, Frankie Kazarian, Frankie the Mobster, and Frankie Capone. Don't you think those last two might have been the same guy? Gran Naniwa, Gran Hamada, Gran Apache, and Gran Apollo. Fuerza Guerrera, Juventud Guerrera, Ultimo Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero, and Eddie Guerrero. Crash Holly and Hardcore Holly, Chet Jablonski and Dean Jablonski, Crew Jones, and Nathan Jones. Jason Lee, Jason Sugarman, and Jason Rumble. Jeff Hamerick, Jeff Jarrett, and Jeff Hardy. Jimmy Jacobs, Jimmy Rave, and Jimmy Vegas. John Walters, John Balsamo, John Cena, John Rambo, and Big Bad John. Johnny Graham, Johnny Handsome, Johnny Max, Johnny Webb, Johnny Cashmere, Johnny Smith, Johnny Spade, Johnny Stamboli, and Johnny Swinger. Joey Knight, Dylan Knight, Kevin Knight, Terry Knight, and Robin Nightwing. I'm guessing that last one was a comic book fan. Boyce Legrand and Lash LaRue, Norton Lewis and Cruiser Lewis, Tokyo Magnum and Quinn Magnum, Nigel McGuinness and Derek McQuinn. Mark Ash, Mark Henry, Mark Jindrak, Mark Mercedes, Joel Maximo, and Jose Maximo. 
Matt Richards, Matt Murphy, Matt Vandal, Matt Stryker, Matt Hardy, and Joey Matthews. Mike Barton, Mikey Henderson, Mike Rotundo, Mike Pittman, Mike Knox, Mike Cruel, Mike Sanders, Mike Shane, Mike Sullivan, Mike Quackenbush, and Michael Modest. Nick Gage, Nick Burke, Nick Mondo, Nick Dinsmore, Nikki Strychnine, and Nikita Alanoff. Prince Justice, and Prince Nana. Ray Bucanero, Ray Mysterio, Bubba Ray Dudley, and Spike Dudley. Oddly enough, no Devon Dudley, though we did have Devon Storm, Johnny Storm, Quiet Storm, and Lance Storm. Rick Diesel, Rick Flair, Ricky Nelson, Ricky Noble, Rick Michaels, Rich Myers, Ricky Marvin, Ricky Murdoch, Rico Casanova, Rico Constantino, and, of course, Rikishi. Rob Conway, Rob Echos, Rob Noxious, Robert Thompson, and Rob Van Dam. Ron Waterman, Ron Killings, and Ronnie Zuko. Scott Demore, Scotty Wren, Scott Bishop, Scott Hall, and Scoot Andrews. Sean Lee, Sean Casey, Sean Style, Sean Stasiak, Sean Christopher, and Sean O'Hare. Shane Douglas, Shane Shadow, Shane Ballard, Shannon Ballard, and Shannon Moore. Jaguar Vijay Singh and Giant Singh. He became the Great Kali. Ace Steel, Ray Steel, and Natron Steel. Steve Austin, Steve Bradley, Steve Carino, Steve Williams, Stephen Richards, Superstar Steve, and Aaron Stevens. Tom Howard, Tom Marquez, Tom Brandy, Tommy Drake, and Tommy Dreamer. Tony Casina, Tony Jones, Tony B, and Tony Mama Luke. Speaking of Italians... There was Vito Danucci, Romeo Valentino, Bruno Sassi, Gino Martino, and of course, Little Guido. While we're on the subject of nationalities, let's mosey down to Mexico. Hector Garza, Don Montoya, S.A. Rios, Mascarita Sagrada, El Hijo de Santo, El Samurai, Nicho El Milonario, La Parca, Emilio Charles Jr., Pero Aguayo Jr., Viano III, and Black Tiger IV. Then there's Japan and it's at this point where this is about to go off the rails. Ready? Here we go. Jun Akiyama, Masahiro Chono, Minoru Fujita, Shinya Hashimoto, Kaz Hayashi, Koji Kanemoto, Taiyo Kei, Satoshi Kojima, Jushin Thunder Liger, Shinya Makabe, Mitsuharu Masawa, Takeshi Morishima, Takakiro Murahama, Keiji Muto, Yuji Nagata, Manabu Nakanishi, Osamu Nishimura, Shimo Nobunaga, Naoya Agawa, Yoshinari Agawa, Takeo Amori, Shinhiro Otani, Takeshi Rikio, Ryu Seto, Keiji Sakoda, Kensuke Sasaki, Kendo Kashin, Jinzi Shinzaki, Yoshihiro Tajiri, Tatsuhito Takewa, Yoshihiro Takiyama, Masato Tanaka, Minoru Tanaka, Akira Tao, Jinichiro Tenru, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, Dick Togo, and Tadao Yasuda. <sighs> then, there's my alliteration friends. Alex Arion, Buff Bagwell, Bulldozer Benton, Colt Cabana, Caprice, Coleman, Chad, Collier, Keenan, Creed, Dukes, Dalton, Dino Devine, Danny Doring, Eric, Everlast, Flex, Phenom, Hellraiser, Hark, Nate, Hatred, Hot Stuff, Hernandez, Hulk, Hogan, Samoa, Joe, Leslie, Leatherman, Latin, Lover, Lex, Lovett, Rusty, Riddle, Roughhouse, Rivera, Sean, Stasiak, and Simon Diamond. That's one of my favorite names of all time, that guy. The Big Show, The Great Valboski, The Great Sasuke, The Undertaker, The Rock, The Sandman, The Messiah, The Bruiser, The Bouncer, The Jackal, The Prophet, The Godfather, and his lesser-known brother, The Codfather. I'm not making that up. I've seen his picture. He wore fishing gear to the ring. Major Havoc in the Navajo Warrior, Deacon Batista, Dr. Wagner Jr., Dr. Luther, Mr. Niebla, and Mr. Ooh-la-la. -la. Earl the Pearl and Pogo the Clown, Shark Boy, Tarzan Boy and the Japanese Pool Boy, the California Kid, Dragon Kid, and the Hardcore Kid. The Blue Meanie, Blue Panther, Amazing Red and Red Dog, 
D'Lo Brown, Slick Wagner Brown, Negro Casas, and Black Warrior. Black Buffalo, Bison Smith, Bull Buchanan, and Bull Schmidt. Ox Harley, Dusty Wolf, Jet Jaguar, Tiger Khan, Cheetah Master, Gator McAllister, Spider, T-Rantula, King Kong Bundy, Cody Hawk, and the American Dragon. AJ Styles, BJ Whitmer, Casey Thunder, CB Kane, CW Anderson, and CM Punk. Easy Money, Easy Rider, JR Rider, JP Black, JJ Johnston, JC North, HC Loke, RC Haas, Triple H, Booker T, Milano Collection AT, Idolex, and Z Bar. Abunai, Albert, Atlantis, and Azrael, Bradshaw, and Boogaloo, Cyrus, Damaja, and Damien, Edge, and Ekmo, Felino, Flash, and Farouk. Damn! Gabrielle, Gamma, Gato, Gilberg, and Goldust. Hadrian, Havoc, Horseshoe, and Homicide. Iceberg, and Inferno. Nice bit of difference there. J-Rock, Jado, Jag, and Juggernaut. Kane, Chaos, and Chemo. Laz, and Lowrider. Mafia, Malice, and Maven. Naftali. Octagon, and Onyx. Pain, Piranha, and Poison. Raven, Roman, and Ruckus. Sabu, and Samir. Satanico and Scorpio, Scab and Seven, Shocker and Striker, Supreme, Spanky, Smelly and Sixpack, Tejas and Test, Vader and Xavier. I'm talking Spazman Anthony, Sylvester Turke, Stamp Lickage, and Spanky Malone. Rolling hard with Shaggy Two Dope, Skull Gans, and Ulf Herman. A time bomb of Dewey Cheatham, Wade Chisholm, and Dirk Sigler. Tyson Dukes, Mac Justice, Monster Mac, and Balls Mahoney. Getting Buck Wild with some Electroshock, Dash Bennett, and Flash Barker. Julio De Niro and Cash Flow. Vance Nevada and Perry Saturn. Boomer Payne, Nova Kane, James Champagne, and Mozart Fontaine. Now some of you might think that what I've just done is low-key. Maybe even just incredible. I hope, though, that it was at least humorous. I dropped the mic right now, but I paid a lot of money for this mic, and I don't really want to do that. All right, friends and neighbors, that's about going to wrap up today's show. A little bit of a hodgepodge, a cornucopia, some potpourri, if you will, of the world of professional wrestling, which I kind of dig, and I hope you enjoyed the variety as well. We talked a little WWE with the Intercontinental title. We talked about Ring of Honor and my thoughts on the company about a month into watching. And we just did some goofy nostalgia fun looking at the 2002 PWI 500. My name is DC Matthews. I'm the chief of staff of the New Age Insiders. And this is the Neighborhood Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you'll stick with me on this journey, exploring new avenues, trying new things, learning all about this crazy podcasting world. I hope you had a good time. Please send me your feedback. I'd love to know what you'd like to hear me do with the Neighborhood Podcast. Uh, you can tweet me at DC Matthews NAI. I have a hashtag, AskDC, which when people aren't asking for the greatest hotels in the capital area or what subway they need to get on to be able to get out to Arlington National Cemetery, you can ask me wrestling-related questions, or really any related questions if you want. I'm a nerd. You can ask me what I think about comic book movies, and I'll share my thoughts. So, hashtag AskDC, at DCMatthewsNAI. This has been the Neighborhood Podcast. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part. See you around the neighborhood. <laughs>